0: Hi, this is Edwin Crozier with the Franklin Church of Christ again, and I want to welcome you as we open our Bibles, this time to hear the third part of Ken Craig's series, God's Amazing Plan to Redeem You, What an exciting series it is. If you haven't listened to the first two lessons, you've got to listen to those first. Go to www.franklinchurchofchrist.com and go to our sermon section and download those first two sermons. Again, that's God's amazing plan to redeem you at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com com. If you've already listened to those lessons, then continue on with this one. Open your Bible and learn about the four testimonies that we can find to this amazing plan of God's in order to redeem us.
1: Good to be back with you again this evening. And I certainly hope that song took on some new meaning for you tonight. Because that just tells the complete story of what we've been talking about. I want to thank you again for having me here. Uh, it's just really been a pleasure to meet with Edwin and his family and see all of you and I see some dear old friends visiting here tonight and I'm thankful to see them as well. I enjoyed the thank the for the nice uh, afternoon we had over there and the meal that they served it was just a light snack, uh, nothing heavy uh. I probably can fast this week, as a matter of fact, and it uh, wouldn't hurt me at all, but I appreciate it uh, so much. It's been a wonderful experience. I appreciate the elders for having me here, and part of the reason is for us to talk about God's amazing plan to redeem you, to redeem us. Now, some of you weren't here this morning, so we'll have to do a little review. And those of you that were here this morning, you know, repetition is good sometimes. And one of the reasons when, when Christ was preparing to leave the earth and He gave this great command to go into all the world and preach the gospel, that's what the elders are trying to get going. They want people to tell this story. And so I don't feel a bit bad about reviewing a little bit more tonight. Uh, in fact, the reason it took so long this morning was because of the song leader. Uh, he, I told him, I said, "Leave the singing out." Oh no, we got to we got to sing the two the two pagers. Uh, he did a little better tonight. But let's review a minute. Christ said, into all the world and preach the gospel." He's saying, "Preach this message," and the reason is because of what we learn in Romans. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It's a message that we share with people that will put them into Christ. It's not lightning bolts. It's not some fuzzy religious experience. It's a message that we preach. And the big differentiator in the religious world today is if you talk to different people, you'll hear different ideas and different methods and different things that are told people about what they need to do to be saved. But there is only one gospel and we must know that gospel and that's our mission today and it becomes even a little scary when we see in Galatians for instance that the Christians at Galatians were already following a different gospel. They understand that. These were Christians. And he says if you do that, you'll be condemned even if an angel teaches you a different gospel or an apostle teaches you a different gospel you'll be condemned. This one gospel, whatever it is, we must get that right. So we looked at where do, we, where do we start? We looked at Galatians 3.24 as a pointer to where to start. Back to the old law, The Old Testament is supposed to teach us things that would bring us to Christ so that we could be justified by faith. And we looked at a lot of things this morning. But the main thing we got is that God is holy. This drives all of His relationship with mankind. And it's the holiness of God that makes Him good makes all of His powers great and wonderful and loving because it's all good. And it's the holiness of God that makes sin so very bad. We look at His holiness as it was demonstrated in His justice and His love to mankind. Those two characteristics of God driven out of His holiness. And that, And that it's His holiness that requires, He requires that from us. He is holy. We are to be holy because He is holy. Because if we're holy, if we're without sin, we can have a relationship with God. And that's what He designed for us. However, sin comes in as a terrible thing, and it separates us from God. God has to turn His face from it. Your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden your face from you. And this is a terrible thing. And God says, let me tell you how terrible it is. There's only one thing that can pay the price for this situation right here. This, this situation is called spiritual death. This occurs automatically when we sin. And there's only one thing that will take care of that, and that is the life of the sinner. Hebrews 9:22 says, "...without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. The only thing that will pay for sin or take care of sin, is death. And guess what? Who's death? Who's responsible for my sin? Me. And me alone. No one else deserves to pay that price for me. It's on my head. And, and we find man in a very desperate situation because God's justice has demanded death as a payment for sin. Man has broken God's laws. He's separated from Him. and This price of death hangs over our head, which I can't pay, by the way, because if I'm dead, I'm just dead. I don't have any further life to live. And that leaves man in a very bad situation. Situation, but we see that God's love then this other side of His holiness steps in to provide a way to pay the price, and this is where we encounter the terms grace, where God gives what is not deserved, and the term mercy, where God does not give what is deserved. We we don't deserve life; God gives it to us. What we deserve is death, but God doesn't give that to us. And we we looked at the the Old Testament that this. This wonderful atoning power of God comes through blood that blood is what is where God has chosen to show His mercy to mankind that 's the whole idea that we see we encountered in the Old Testament in animal sacrifice. This was the whole purpose of animal sacrifice that this animal, this innocent, unspotted, unblemished animal would would, as it were, take the sins, and I say figuratively here, because an animal couldn't sin, it certainly couldn't bear sin, but that animal would then be sacrificed on the altar. It would die representing the sinner. And that's what we see, how God's love was shown to man, His mercy. And we also saw that this had to be done by faith. You couldn't just believe in animal sacrifice, you had to kill the animal, because without the shedding of blood, there can be no commission of sin. Good works wouldn't take care of sin. Nothing will take care of sin except blood atonement. And that had to be done by faith. And this passage in Hebrews 6 where it gave us all those Old Testament examples of faith that this kind of faith that God requires is a belief-based faith that results in action. A belief-based action. So we we ended up looking at the Old Testament. We saw how animal sacrifice demonstrated God's justice because the death that was required to pay for sin took place. But we also see how it demonstrated God's mercy in that the sinner didn't have to die. The sinner died, as it were, through the representative. So that the animal's innocent blood represented the guilty life of the sinner. And then we looked at all the things that we saw through the Old Testament. All these things that we learned through this great learning period that we're supposed to be taught. Remember the Galatians 3.24 that this would be a teacher to bring us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. These are all the things we discussed this morning and looked at until that, so that great moment in time came when thousands of years had gone by and millions of animals have been slain and Christ appears and John announces him as, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The learning period was over. It's time to bring Christ onto the scene. And he's called... The lamp of God. Christ came to die. It was His purpose to come and die. It was His purpose to be God's sacrifice. To die in place of the sinners and take away the sin of the world. We looked at Isaiah 53 where we saw that this was all prophesied about Christ. That He would come and He would go through this agonizing death. And that He would bear the sins of many. And He would do that for those of us for whom the stroke was due. And then we looked at how this worked in the New Testament. First Peter 2.24 He Himself bore our sins, literally, not figuratively like the animal. He bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin. Can we see that over? Romans 6.8 portrays it. Our old self was crucified. What? With Him. Notice that. Our old self was crucified with Him that our body of sin might be done away with. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. And this portrays the Christian as somebody that was actually crucified with Christ. Not for Christ, not in Christ, not because of Christ, but with Him. Past tense. Something that occurred in the life of the Christian. And we looked at a number of passages this morning that showed that. And... and uh also, that this was done through faith in Christ's blood. That this removal of sins, this wonderful gift of being justified by His grace, took place through faith in Christ's blood. And we looked at a number of passages, such as Second 2 Timothy 2.11, that refers to this as something that happened to a Christian in the past. It is a trustworthy statement. If we died with Him, I just can't emphasize that enough with Him, if we died with Him. And we saw a number of passages that, taught, that showed that this morning, referring to a time in the past where, they, where Christians are said to about with Christ. And then we ask the question, well, when does this happen? When does God view me as dying to sin? When, am I, when does God, God view me as dying with Christ? At what point does God view me as uniting with Christ in His death? At what point does God view me as being crucified with Christ? And we made the significant point that we just need a Bible answer for this. But this is the crux of the matter right here. This is the response to that wonderful gospel message. When does this happen? So we read Romans 6. We're just going to read through that briefly again tonight because this is too important to miss. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? There it is. We who died to sin. Well, when did that happen? Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? And we found that right here in the first three verses of Romans, we discover that this is the whole point of baptism. This is what baptism is all about. It's just not it's not, it's much more than just some act of obedience that somehow superstitiously or supernaturally removes our sin. It's an act of faith, and this is where we enter Christ's death. And why do I have to enter his death? It's because without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. I don't see anybody here to shed their blood. But we did, if we did it through Christ by entering into his death, and he tells us Baptism is that act of faith where we accept the promises of God to have our sins removed and be united with Christ in death. Verse 4, Therefore we have been buried with Him, pay attention to the prepositions, through baptism into death, in order that when Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He's saying we were buried with Him, and guess what? We were raised with Him. He He was raised literally. We were raised... And we were given a new life. Because our sins are removed, we get a new life when we're buried with Him through baptism into death. I hope this is uh, just as simple as it appears to me. It's just out of simple how anything could be more straightforward if we understand the plan of redemption. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, there's another one of the questions. We shall be with Him in the likeness of the direction. Knowing this, our old self was crucified with Him. Why? That our body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. For He who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, there it is. If we died with Christ, when did this happen? When I was baptized into Christ. When I was baptized into His death, we believe that we shall also live with him for the death that he died he died to sin once for all but the life he lives he lives to God in the same way count yourselves to be dead to sin but the life of God in Christ Jesus look at verse 10 what did Christ do <clears throat> he died on the cross he died a literal death he died to sin it says in the same way count yourselves to be dead to sin that's the whole point somehow I've got to die Because without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. Somehow I have to die with Christ. And what God tells me here is that that's what happens when I'm baptized into Christ by faith in Christ's blood, because I believe what Christ did for me. When I'm baptized into Christ, I'm baptized into His death, I die with Christ. I'm united with Christ in His death. And he says, verse 12, this is the reason. This is the conduct. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. That. Is he's saying, because of all this, stop sinning. Have a different attitude towards sin. Verse 17, But thanks be to God that you were slaves and you became obedient from the heart. There's the faith part. Belief-based action. Obedient from the heart. Belief-based action. That's faith. It's faith that saves us. It's faith that's working in baptism to unite us with Christ. In this death. And finally, let's look at just a few more passages here, real quickly. And having been freed from sin, you now became slaves of righteousness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. And having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in what? Sanctification. What happens when we're baptized into Christ, when we're baptized into his death? Our sins are removed, we're made holy. We can now have a relationship with God again. And after all that, this is called a gift. We didn't do a thing, not one thing, to earn salvation when we're baptized into Christ. We're just accepting God's precious gift. And we left it with 1 John three fourteen. We know, talking to Christians, that we have passed out of death into life. And so tonight we're going to look, we're going to carry that message a little further. We're going to look at some other testimonies to this one gospel. We're going to look first at what, what some, of the, some of what the apostles taught. Remember, we started in Galatians 3.24 where we're told that we learn about this stuff in the Old Testament to bring us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Justification by faith is pretty important, isn't it? So we need to, we need to understand that. And we go back to the context of Galatians 3.24 and let's just look at some of the passages there. In verse 22, But the Scripture has shut everyone up under sin, so that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. Therefore, the law, verse 24, has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. That learning period's over. Verse 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There it is. Now, if you're a follower of the Reformation, this is where it stops. But do I believe that I'm justified by faith? Absolutely. Am I a son of God through faith? Absolutely. The question is, kind of like our Romans 6 uh, thing, when? When does God view me as justified by faith? When does God view me as a son of God by faith? Now, a lot of people say, well, it's when you believe. Well, we know that that is not the case because of our study this morning in James chapter 2 where he says, you're not justified by belief alone. He makes this exact point in the letter that was written to be distributed to all the churches. He said, if we're saved at the point of belief, the devils would be saved. And they're in hell. So we know that's not the case. So the question is, well, when does this occur? When? When? At what point am I viewed by God as justified by faith, or a son of God by faith. Well, let's look further and read verse 27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Galatians tells us that the point where we are justified by faith, the point where we become sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, is when we're baptized into. Now, why would that be? Well, justification is a term we use a lot of times. You know, if you're typing or something, you right justify something, you line it up on the right. If you left justify it, you line it up on the left. It It has the idea of bringing something that's out of alignment back into alignment. And I'm told that in the Scriptures, it has more of a legal term. In other words, here I am. Sitting here, and I've I've got sin in my life. Well, when there's sin in my life, I'm separated from God. But guess what? There's a price on my head, isn't there? If there's sin in my life, what's that price? The price is death. There's a price of death on my head. Now, what happens? When I'm baptized into Christ, what happens to my sins? They're taken away. Well, now, when my sins are taken away, what else is taken away? The price that's on my head is removed. That's what justification is. It's like a hammer came down and the judge says, Not guilty. You're free to go. Just like if I had a speeding ticket and I've got to pay that thing. When I go into the judge and I pay the ticket, I'm free to go. I'm no longer liable for that ticket. Well, that's what happens when we're justified by faith. When we're baptized into Christ and our sins are removed, it's as if God says, not guilty. You no longer have that price on your head anymore. We can be reconciled now. And that's justification by faith. And Galatians 3 tells us that occurs when we're baptized into Christ. And if you understand the plan of redemption, doesn't that make incredibly wonderful, wonderful sense? we are supposed to go, yes. Edwin said yes. We'll take that. F. F. Bruce, remarking on the role of faith, said that the, in apostolic times, baptism appears to have followed immediately on confession of faith in Christ. The repeated accounts of baptism in Acts give ample proof of this. What is expressly related in Acts is implied in the epistles. Faith in Christ was an essential element in baptism, for without, the, for without it, the application of water, even accompanied by the appropriate words, would not have been Christian baptism. I think this is something we all recognize Faith is what makes baptism work. If it didn't, we'd just grab people and start going, go out on the street and just start dragging people in here and baptize And that's what we learn in Colossians chapter 2. The great passage here. Look at what he says. In Him, in Christ, all the fullness of God will. In Him you've been made complete. In Him you were circumcised with the circumcision made not with hands in the removal of the body of flesh. He's, he's drawing an analogy here to circumcision. He's not saying baptism is New Testament circumcision. He's just saying there's an analogy here that when, you, when, when you're in Christ, Christ took this body of flesh, that's our sins, and threw them away. Just like when you were circumcised. And he says this happened when you were buried with, you know, notice the preposition, in baptism you were also what? Raised up with Him. That's because we were given a new life, just like Christ was resurrected. And how did this work? Through faith in our own obedience, right? No, that's not what it says. This all worked. We were raised up with Him through faith in what? In the working of God. By our belief in what Christ did, by our belief in what He did... When we're baptized, he says, that this is what made it work. We were buried with Him in baptism. We we're raised up with Him through faith in the working of God. That's what removes our sin. So what if you look at Colossians 2 and you look at Romans 6, you just, really, you just get a sense. These are just exactly parallel passages. They're just saying the same type of things. Let's look at one of, another one of our favorite passages. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of the dirt from the flesh. Now, here we go. Here's your test. This is one of your tests. This doesn't mention belief, does it? This says baptism, now saves you. There it is. It's time to go. Let's start dragging them off the street. This doesn't mention faith. It doesn't mention repentance. It doesn't mention confession. It's just a simple... There it is. What is this figure of speech? The test for those who are here this morning. Synecdoche. This is where a part stands for the whole. We see it all through the New Testament, and here it's used in the case of baptism. Baptism represents everything a person needs to do. They must believe. They must repent. They must confess their uh, Christ. And it represents here. But he goes on further to show in this passage why baptism saves you. Look at the first point: an appeal to God for a good conscience. Now, what is that talking about? An appeal to God for a good conscience. Are we saying, Lord, I believe that when I'm baptized, all my sins are going to be taken away. And I'm going to be able to sleep tonight. I'm going to have a good conscience. You think that's what it is? Well, what is that? That's faith. That's what we're talking about. It's It's a belief in what God has promised us. That's that faith part. And look at the second thing he says here. Through... The resurrection of Christ. Resurrection of Christ. Wait a minute. Didn't Christ do more than just resurrect? He also died. He lived a perfect... What is this word right here? Synecdoche again, right? You see it everywhere. Through the resurrection of Christ. Well, what's this talking about? He's saying, faith in what? Isn't this exactly what we just read in Colossians 2.12? That baptism saves us by faith. In the working of God. This is how it works. this is what 1 Peter 3.21, I think, is telling us. Let's look at some other things in the epistles. The, we see in Acts 22 and 16, we see this figure baptism of washing. Be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. We see this in Revelation 1.5. To Him who loved us and washed us from our sins. And look at this in His own blood. How's that for a graphic portrayal of baptism and washing? And we see in 1 Corinthians six eleven, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord. And look at this progression. What happened when we were baptized? You were sanctified. Right? Because your sins were taken away. And what happened as a result of being sanctified? You were justified. The penalty for sin is removed. And now you're restored in your relationship with God. And there's a perfect progression of what we've just been talking about in baptism. We see this very vividly portrayed in Titus 3, verses 3 through 7. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal. By the Holy Spirit. A great passage. We'll look at that a little more. So this is kind of the way I see this whole thing playing out. You take this dead man over here. How's he dead? He's separated from God. He's spiritually dead. You bury him with Christ. You crucify him with Christ. And what happens as a result? His sins are removed. Our sins are removed. And as a result of that, justification occurs. The price for sin is no longer on our heads. We're given a new life, and we're made righteous. And I believe, personally, that that's what we're talking about when it talks about the washing of regeneration, baptism, and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit plays a role in this. And I don't see this at all as a miraculous role whatsoever. But the Holy Spirit is the one that takes our sins away. I think this is often referred to in the Scriptures as the sanctifying work of the Spirit. It occurs by our act of faith. When we respond in faith and we're baptized, as I would put it, the Holy Spirit does the scrubbing. Very simple. Nothing miraculous. No gifts involved. It's just that, that I think this is what's described as what the Holy Spirit does in conversion. that He removes our sins. And presents us as righteous back to God. And that that's his role. And, and, and I think what's wonderful about Titus 3 5 is that we see in this one passage all three of the Godhead. We see God, who according to his love planned this. We see Christ, who did the work, did the dying, paying the price. And we see the Holy Spirit that does the renewing. And we respond by faith in Christ's blood. And we respond and accept that gift. In baptism, And look at this. Even in this case, again, this is nothing that we've done to earn salvation. It's still called being justified freely by His grace. We also looked at this morning, and we'll just touch on it here, this list of seven things in Ephesians 4, where we find one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Through all and in all, we ask the question, why is baptism on this list of seven things that all Christians must agree on? Why would baptism be on an important list like this? We don't see the Lord's Supper on this list. Look at this. One Lord, one faith, one God, one Father, one Spirit, one baptism. Is baptism just some fuzzy, symbolic thing? That we do? Well, if we understand the plan of redemption, we understand why baptism is on this list. Because it's where we unite with Christ. It's where we die with Him. It's where our sins are forgiven. And so, we can look in the book of Acts now at the examples and find out what this one baptism is. Let's very quickly, let's go to the book of Acts and look at the power of examples. Oftentimes when I'm talking to people, I'll say, wouldn't it be great if we just had an example where the gospel was preached? And a, and a, and people believed it and they said, what must we do? And an apostle answered them and they'll go, "Yeah." And I'll say, well, hell, let's go. When they heard this in Acts chapter 2, well, what did they hear? They heard the first gospel sermon ever preached on the day of Pentecost. They were pierced to the heart. What does that mean? They believed the message and they were motivated to ask the question, what shall we do? Now look at the answers Peter could have given. He could have said, well, there's nothing you can do. Christ did it all. Just Or just believe or call out Jesus' name or pray the sinner's prayer or just pray through or... Just accept Jesus into your heart. But he didn't say any of those things. But you hear those things from people today. And what these are, these are different Gospels. These are telling people different ways to be saved. But what did Peter say? How did he respond? He said, Repent. He said this to believers. Repent and let each of you be baptized for the remission of your sins, And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the gospel response to a believer. That they had to be baptized. They had to repent and be baptized for for you to serve sort of sin. Now, I hope if we understand the plan of redemption, why would we understand that He says baptism is where your sins are forgiven. Baptism is where your sins are removed. Not because you have kept all the commands so perfectly and you just responded to this rote act of obedience. No, it's because this is where by faith and the working of God you, you accept his promise, just as those people on the day of Pentecost did. And we see that with many other words, He solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And those who received His word were baptized. They were added that day about 3,000 souls. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Another important point is that baptism is that point where, where we are added to the kingdom of God. And that's where we accept the headship of Christ and we agree to follow His commands in a faithful, loving, obedient relationship for the rest of our lives so that we can attain the kingdom of heaven. Let's, let's deal with the Ethiopian eunuch. Another great example. Here he is, and I want you to understand very clearly what, what it says Philip preached to him. He started in Isaiah, the Old Testament, by the way. And what did he do? He preached Jesus. And the eunuch immediately says, "Well, here's water. Can I be baptized?" Now here's a question: Where did the eunuch hear about baptism? There's only one way, place he could have heard about it. He heard about it when Philip preached Jesus. Why would baptism be in there? Because that's where we unite with Christ there. How important is Christ there? Well, it's everything. It's everything, or it's nothing. So they went down into the water. He didn't sprinkle him or pour pour water on him. They went in the water, and after that, he rejoiced. There's a very good example of that. Preaching Jesus had to include instructions about the one baptism of Ephesians 4 as a response to the one gospel of Galatians 1. And let's just save Paul real quickly. Here was Paul, a God-fearing man, going around killing Christians. Paul was... Meets Jesus on the road in a a heavenly light, he says, that Paul believed because he talked with him. He confessed. He called him Lord. He obeyed what he told him to do. He was told to get up and go into the city. He didn't pray. He fasted for three days. And then he what? He prayed for three days. I just wonder, what do you think Paul's prayer was? For three days. He didn't eat anything and he just prayed. What do you think he prayed? Do you think he prayed for world peace? Here's a guy that's been going around killing Christians. I can just imagine this is a prayer that would rival David's prayer of repentance in Psalm 51. Of apologizing to God for what he had done and asking for forgiveness. But you know what? After all these acts of repentance, Ananias, who had been sent to him by God, told him to do what? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sin. The point is, none of these things dealt with one single sin that Paul had. Even though he had repented for three days. I I run into people all the time that are strong believers in God and really want to do His will. And they've changed their lives. But you know what? They're no different from Paul whether that's three days or three years or thirty years. Repentance. And these acts of repentance will not take away a single sin. The only thing that will take away sin is the blood of Christ. And that's where baptism has that one baptism of Ephesians 4, that one gospel has its role in uniting us with Christ and his death, because without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sins. Let's look. What Christ taught, and we go back to the Great Commission, back to that hilltop, and look what we finished—the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. How do how do we just ignore that? How do you know we chide our friends and we go, oh, they don't—they just ignore that. You know what? We ignore it too, because He's telling us to preach it. Are we doing that? You know, we, we, we can look, say, well, look, I don't see how somebody doesn't understand that. That just couldn't be clear. And if you understand the plan of redemption, what could be clearer? But aren't we just ignoring it too if we don't do what He commanded us to do? But, let's, but, but how powerful is Christ's commandment to His followers to preach the gospel? He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. We also see John 3.5 where Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And a lot of people say, well, what's that talking about? can't be baptism. But again, I think this is an exact parallel to what we just read in Titus 3.5. He saved us by the washing of regeneration, by baptism, and the renewing of the Holy Spirit that takes place. And isn't that exactly what he's saying here? Unless you're born of water... And the Spirit, that when we're baptized, it's the action of the Spirit that takes away our sins. And then we see, furthermore, in Matthew 28, the other commission, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to command, observe all that I command in you. This tells us that you make disciples by baptizing them. Because that's when we're added to the kingdom. And he furthermore says, that, you know, it doesn't end there. You don't just go out and baptize people, but after that, you need to teach them all the things that God has commanded. Let's look at one other testimony, that of the early church itself. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but here's a quote from Barnabas in 70 A.D. Blessed are they who, placing their trust in the cross, have gone down into the water. We indeed descend into the water, full of sins and defilement. We come up, bearing fruit in our hearts, and the fear of God and the trust of Jesus in our spirit. Now let me just ask a simple question. Who better to understand what the apostles were teaching on baptism? Barnabas and people like that that sat at their feet and were taught by them directly? Or Martin Luther and a bunch of Reformation guys 1,500 years later, later? And I'll tell you, if you look at the testimony of the early church, they all taught universally baptism was for remission mission of sins because it was part of that great plan of redemption. And they had a proof text. Irenaeus in 150 AD says that we are lepers in sin. We are made clean from our transgressions by means of the sacred water and the imitation of our, our Lord. We are thus spiritually regenerated as newborn infants, even as the Lord declared, except a man be born again. They used John three three and John three five as their proof text for baptism for remission. They used those passages to refer the act of immersion in water. So what we see, simply put, is when we see this great plan of redemption over here that Christ did and God enacted through history, that following that, Christ commanded this in the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach this gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. And then we see the book of Acts, which is just a historical recording of the apostles carrying out that exact Great Commission. Then we see the epistles where the apostles again validated and verified and explained more about how this great plan of redemption worked and how it culminated in the life of a Christian. And that's what we see the early church practiced by early Christians universally. So, I want to leave you tonight with a great confidence that you can tell this simple story. This is a great story. It's not hard. Tell it to people. Don't let them get you off the subject. Tell the story of this great gift that God gave us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Don't try to talk people into being baptized. That's not the objective. The objective is that we die with Christ. So I come back to that same question tonight, have you died with Christ? Have you died with Christ? Because if we haven't died with Christ, there's nothing that we've done, or will do, that can take our sins away. It won't matter how good a life we've been living, how nice we are to our parents, or our children, or our neighbors, how much we pray, how much we worship, Nothing will matter if we haven't died with Christ, because that's the only thing that will remove sin. The only thing that will take away sin is the blood of Christ. Because without shedding blood, there can be no commission of sin. And I would hate to be on the judgment day when God returns and find out that, well, I've rejected his son. I've rejected this great gift because somebody in church hurt my feelings or my parents, or I don't, I don't like this, or I don't like that, or I don't like the Church of Christ, or, you know, whatever. How pitiful will it be to stand before a just God and try to explain why we rejected the great gift and promise of promise and salvation through what His Son did. Christ came and did this for, you, for us while we were His enemies, and we need to die with Him and accept that great gift. And we do that when we're baptized into Christ. And we're baptized into His death by faith in Him. If you're here tonight and you have need of the gospel, here it is. Why not take advantage of that while we stand and sing?
0: What a powerful lesson. I hope you've listened to all three of this series, God's Amazing Plan to Redeem You. A special thank you to King Craig, a bishop in the church down in Birmingham, Alabama. We appreciate him coming to the Franklin Church and presenting this series of lessons. What an eye-opening series it is as we've learned about the big picture of God's amazing plan to redeem us. Do you have any questions about what you've heard? Would you like to participate in God's plan of redemption? Perhaps you realize you haven't obeyed that gospel. If we can help you, you can contact us through our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com or you can call directly to the office of the Franklin Church of Christ at 615-794-2359. I invite you to go to our website and download as many lessons as you would like. We have audio formats and outline formats. Study them, share them with others, use them in any way you can to glorify God and draw closer to Him. Again, if you'd like to contact us, the website is FranklinChurchOfChrist.com and the phone number is 615-794-2359. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.